Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. It is a uh, beautiful and warm June day. I want to welcome everybody here to the program. I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki, checking in from the Central European Studio. And uh, my colleague David Clement is out for the week. So I've got some other treats in store for you guys. You're listening to Consumer Choice Radio. Uh, this is the place you go for all of the interviews and depth analysis and all things consumer issues. Uh, particularly from those who want to have a bit more competition, who'd like to have a lot more choice. That's what we're here to provide and go into a lot of the great debates and all things all week. And I've got a couple of things planned um, that might be of interest to you all. <laughs> our, our friend and colleague, uh, Fred Roda, will be on the program a bit later. He was um, a tourist in the nation that uh, shall not be named. Or no, we'll name it uh, in Turkmenistan. Uh, so Fred is going to be our travel correspondent. He's going to give us a little bit of the take on what is happening in Turkmenistan. Very uh, strange country. Not a country that is oft on the list for a lot of people who would be uh, traveling and you know leaving their homes. <laughs> but uh, he gives us some very good perspective on that and uh, some of the, the weird rituals and all types of uh, fun travel tips that you can get here from Consumer Choice Radio. As always, we're broadcasting on Saga 960 AM. And on the Coastal Carolina Network every single Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Thank you guys for tuning in. And apart from that interview, um, I want to get into the news of the week. There's a couple of things. We will not be talking submersibles. I'm sure you've heard enough about this. I've gotten all the news, checked all the updates. Very sad to hear. No other comments on that. But I wanted to get into uh, two big stories that have to do with the world of uh, big tech and policy. Uh, two specific ones. In the U.S., we have the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, which uh, filed a lawsuit against Amazon for their Prime subscription program. So this is a, a, a big deal for any of you who might be Amazon customers, uh, particularly in the United States. Uh, something of, of interest to many different jurisdictions around the globe, because I think there's going to be a lot of pressure from some of these other groups, uh, countries, agencies to do much the same. So we're looking at, you know, some of the, the statements that have been put out and, um, you know, looking at what the FTC said. Uh, well, let, let's go here. The Consumer Choice Center, us, we put out a, a press release on this to give our, uh, our take, our point of view. We thought it was very important to get our name out there on this issue because this is something that will harm basically everyone who uses Amazon or every single prime subscriber. So looking into it, we'll, we'll dive into the actual lawsuit here. I think that's the probably one of the most important things to actually look at is what did the government actually say? And what we see from the outset, and for those of you who don't know, the FTC, which is the competition agency and authority in the United States, said that basically the Amazon Prime program is, quote, tricking unwitting consumers by offering lower prices and uh, faster delivery. Uh, they, they bring up a lot of different uh, examples about how many clicks it takes to get to the unsubscribe button or cancel your Prime subscription. Um, all this is very funny, of course, because Amazon happens to be one of the more consumer-oriented companies out there. I'm sure many of you have maybe even ordered from Amazon this week. And maybe you got something, you didn't like the size, or it just didn't fit for your project. And what did you do? You went right to the site, 
uh, returned it, you were able to drop it off at the local post office or drop it off with one of these uh, special Amazon carriers, and you got your refund. Sometimes immediate, actually. It's pretty quick. So why this is important is because this is the antitrust movement that has become very popular in the U.S. and some of these other Anglosphere countries lately. And the idea is that Amazon is too big and too powerful. And what is specific to, to this lawsuit that the FTC is filing is um, essentially what Amazon offers its customers for Prime, you know, the lower prices, the faster delivery, also the options of video, also the options of, of being able to get things much quicker. Um, this is the first large-scale action against Amazon by the Federal Trade Commission. The Federal Trade Commission, one of the independent agencies of the U.S., is headed up by Lena Khan. She's the chair of the committee. Uh, she is a Biden appointee. And it's very well known that she is a, a stout opponent of Amazon. She wrote a, an article in 2017 called Amazon's Antitrust Paradox, where she essentially laid out her case of how she would pursue the e-commerce giant. And uh, we'll read from the complaint here from the uh, FTC website. FTC takes action against Amazon for enrolling consumers in Amazon Prime without consent and sabotage, sabotaging their attempts to cancel. The FTC charges that Amazon has knowingly, quote, duped millions of consumers into unknowingly enrolling in Amazon Prime. Specifically, Amazon used manipulative, coercive, or deceptive user interface designs known as dark patterns to trick consumers into enrolling in automatically renewing Prime subscriptions. That's not all they do say in the next paragraph that, uh, quote, Amazon also knowingly complicated the cancellation process for Prime subscribers who sought to end their membership. The primary purpose of the cancellation process was not to enable subscribers to cancel, but to stop them. Amazon leadership slowed or rejected changes that would have made it easier for users to cancel Prime. Okay. There's a lot to contend with here. So looking at the first one, uh, that Amazon uses, quote, manipulative, coercive, or deceptive user interface designs to trick consumers into enrolling in Prime. So have you been a part of, uh, have, have you been subject to these dark patterns? Are you a victim of these dark patterns? Um, those of you out there who have ordered affordable products on Amazon and because of your Prime subscription, either got next day delivery or a bit of a cheaper price. This is all about a certain angle of what the, what the FTC believes the consumer to believe and what the consumers themselves actually believe. Now, do consumers sign up for Prime because they've been tricked? Or because it's a great service that allows you not just inability to have cheaper products and there the next day, but then you get a whole bundle. You get data storage, you get the video streaming. You get all these different things that are given to you and um, apparently you've been tricked, says, says the FTC. Um, on its face, this seems rather laughable. And I think what is more atrocious of all of this is that they're wasting the resources going after a company like that for Prime specifically. 
Now, have people's welfare, you know, has your welfare improved because you've been a member of Prime or because you've gotten these products or services? I think most people would overwhelmingly say yes. And there was even a survey done recently. I believe it was um, the Harvard Harris poll. And this looks at uh, different institutions in the United States and, and asks people's opinions, particularly consumers, voters, and the like. And um, yeah, the number one organization or institution that is the most favored is the U.S. military. No surprise there. Everybody's a big fan of the military. Uh, but number two, Amazon. <laughs> Amazon followed by Google, followed by the police. That's an interesting one. Then Black Lives Matter, Facebook, the Centers for D Disease Control, and then uh, the FBI. Oh, that's kind of weird. Uh, but overall, the Amazon had the most favorable rankings out of all of them. So on net, 78% of consumers who are polled in this uh, particular Harvard-Harris poll uh, are favorable to Amazon. Yeah, only 13% unfavorable. And uh, it seems that 13%, they all seem to reside within the Federal Trade Commission of the United States. <laughs> oh, yes. This is where the, uh, the evolution of antitrust policy is going in 2023. Uh, we've already talked at length about the various uh, lawsuits that the FTC has filed, or they've tried to stop uh, mergers or acquisitions related to Meta, uh, Instagram, and VR, and WhatsApp, Facebook, all the rest. Uh, but now this is Amazon that's in the, uh, the crosshairs. So this entire complaint, I, I, you know, we don't have to go through uh, too much of the nitty-gritty, but this is something that, you know, will impact you as a consumer if this does go through and if there is some kind of penalty. Because if Amazon is not able to, to offer Prime, what does that say about every other large chain, branch, store that does offer some kind of rewards program uh, for a subscription? Uh, any of you shop at Costco? Um, are you IKEA family card members? Uh, how about your local grocery store? Geez, and I even forget that the Whole Foods is also integrated within the Amazon Prime subscription. Uh, this impacts a lot of stuff. And the Federal Trade Commission is a competition agency. They're there to protect consumers, so-called. They should probably be doing a lot more of that and a lot less of trying to get rid of Prime. Because Prime has given us untold benefits. Prime has given many different products and services that we're able to get much cheaper, quicker to our door. You know, some uh, municipalities, you guys are very lucky. You can get things uh, often on the same day within two hours. I don't live in one of these places, but some of you do. Yeah, have you been harmed by that? Are the dark patterns <laughs> that are, are tricky to this? And I, I think I can understand a bit what they're trying to do here. The dark patterns narrative that they put into this lawsuit, uh, they're essentially trying to create a case for future lawsuits uh, likely targeted at Amazon, but perhaps any of the other U.S. tech firms. If they can say, oh, well, they do things to keep people subscribed or make it so that people want to subscribe, you know, it's a dark pattern, nudging, as it were. They're, they're nudging you on the website to sign up for the subscription. And what do we get in exchange for it? Plenty of benefits. Now, all this is very interesting, obviously, because we have a global tech war whether it's artificial intelligence or the rise of China or many of the different products and services offered by companies tied to the CCP, things like TikTok, 
uh, the U.S. agencies are going after Amazon and going after Meta and going after many of the other tech companies. Uh, we already talked about Microsoft. Uh, they had an attempted acquisition of Activision that's in the video game world, and that has been halted by FTC. So we're kind of living in this, this strange moment where we have a global fight for technology supremacy. U.S. firms are trying to stay on top, and our own domestic institutions are cutting them off at the knees. Now, there's every complaint you can make about Facebook, about Meta, about Amazon. There's all kinds of problems that people have, and they have plenty of feedback forms, and uh, maybe you had a bad experience. Uh, but does that mean that we need to completely eviscerate the companies, tear them apart? I, I just don't know if that's in the interest of consumers. You have the freedom. If you don't want to use Amazon, you don't have to. There are plenty of other services and sites. You can also buy in the store. You don't have to go online, type in Amazon.com. You don't have to get a Prime subscription even. And that they put so much emphasis on the number of clicks. Um, I, I think that was uh, Patrick Hedger over there at the... Um, I believe he is at the Taxpayers Protection Alliance in the U.S. Had a good tweet thread on this. It takes six clicks to unsubscribe from Amazon Prime, whereas if you were to read any of the newspapers and have a subscription there where you're reading the story about Amazon's FTC lawsuit, uh, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, uh, if you attempt to unsubscribe, uh, you do not have an option to cancel online. You have to phone in. You got to call them on the old cell phone. Uh, very different than the, the Amazon process. But lest, uh, these are the people who are in charge of our competition agency in the United States, Lena Khan, the FTC, uh, the Democratic majority there. Um, so a lot more. We have a press release we put up on consumerchoicecenter.org if you are interested in that. And we'll continue talking about this story. I'll probably try to get an article up next week about it because I, I think it is interesting and it could have repercussions. Uh, does this mean that any online retailer cannot have discounted subscriptions, whereas when you're a member of the club, you get something a bit cheaper. I mean, we have this with every other facet of life, every other chain, big box store out there. I mean, would Sam's Club exist? Would Costco exist? There's all kinds of examples here. But of course, if you're a big, bad Amazon, uh, you are in the crosshairs. So there's uh, many more things that we'll, we'll try to get uh, uncovered on that. Maybe do an interview or two on that weeks to come we'll see uh we're going to go to break now and once we're back we're going to talk to our our colleague fred Oda. is going to talk to us all about turkmenistan you guys stay tuned to consumer choice radio we'll be right back after this and welcome back to consumer choice radio as i mentioned here in the intro we uh, wanted to do a little bit of a travel section here on the program. We tried to do this every couple of weeks and talk about some of the great travel that either David or myself have done. And, you know, we figured we'd bring in an outside observer here to talk about his travels. Uh, we're speaking with Frederic Roda. He's the managing director of the Consumer Choice Center and our colleague. Fred, how goes it today? It goes well, to quote our colleague David. Um, thanks for having me on the show, Yael. Perfect. And uh, wanted to bring you on. Uh, you're someone who uh, is um, very familiar with uh, global travel. 
and uh, you've been able to live through many different experiences. And you had one recently that I wanted to talk about. Um, this is not a place that is oft on too many people's lists. And uh, in fact, they probably don't know much about it. But it seems that lately you were able to put uh, boots on the ground in the nation of Turkmenistan. Uh, That's which, absolutely correct. Yeah. So I uh, wanted to get your take on basically your your travels there, some of the observations that you had, um, maybe what you thought. Let, let's start with what you thought going in Turkmenistan would be like, and then eventually, you know, how, how the onion peeled and uh, the truth revealed itself. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. So uh, I, I recently went to Turkmenistan, which was my first time in Central Asia. And um, I was excited to see that region for the first time. And then um, especially being able to travel to Turkmenistan because it's one of the least visited countries in the world. It's um, not very open to tourism. And um, I was I read quite a bit about it before that um, they're really into horses and dogs and um, do pretty much their own thing over there. So um, I, I was curious to go and uh, spend a long weekend over there. Okay, so we hear, we hear about horses and dogs. Um, so what is this about horses? I've heard uh, some of our colleagues jabber back and forth about this. Is there uh, some kind of horse legacy in the nation of Turkmenistan? And, and just for the listeners, Turkmenistan is a uh, one of the, uh, I, I don't know how you'd actually describe it, but I guess one of the republics uh, that was the fallout from the breakup of the USSR uh, north of Iran. And uh, just, you know, right there, you got Afghanistan on the border, just, you know, just a hodgepodge of great peaceful nations, right? Yeah, I think it's Iran, Afghanistan, and Uzbekistan, which are kind of hang out in their neighborhood. So it's, it's an interesting um, collection of countries. And Ashgabat, the capital, is actually only like 20 miles from the Iranian border. So we're like more or less able to look at Iran. I mean, there's some mountains in between, so we saw the mountains. But um, uh, yeah, they, they do have a specific horse breed, the so-called Akalteke, and I'm pretty sure I mispronounced that. And they're very proud of that. Um, I think they have also some very specific laws around that horse breed. So you're not allowed to change the name of an Akalteke. If you buy one, it has to keep the same name. It's entire life so they're they're they really adore their horses and then they also have a specific dog breed there um to be honest don't remember the name of the dog breed they look a bit like a german shepherd mixed with a bernardiner um and um they're like pretty big dogs and there was also like a statue somewhere in the city and a big roundabout traffic roundabout there's a golden version of that dog there very interesting um also, they apparently recently hosted the Asia Games, which is kind of the regional Olympics of Asia. So, like in pretty central parts of Ashgabat, which is the capital of Turkmenistan, they built this massive Olympic sports complex. Um, and their mascot is like one of these dogs smiling and wearing like a traditional Turkmen hat. Um, look kind of funny. Um, the interesting thing is they even built a monorail around the entire Olympic complex. And I think these Asia games went like for a week or two. And ever since then, they haven't used that complex. So the local sports teams cannot use it and that stuff. So it just sits there. It reminded me a bit in that Simpson song, monorail, when, when Springfield tried to get a monorail. Um, so interesting. Um, yeah. And then also it's like really large government buildings. Mm. No idea what they're being used for. 
So this is similar to when we went to uh, Belarus and visited the capital of Minsk. There's just a lot of very large government buildings, and you have no idea what they do. It had a bit of that vibe and the same kind of really wide roads. You know, you can just, like, look for miles and miles, and they're just, like, on the sides. It's just, like, these massive buildings. Um, definitely looked more modern than Minsk, so that they built most of the things recently. The country has, like, a lot of natural gas reserves. Um and um, yeah, I mean, for a country that has somewhere between three to six million inhabitants, no one really knows. Um, it was um, quite big government buildings. You know, you're, you're American, I'm German. We're kind of from countries with large populations uh, where, where a lot of these buildings are smaller. Yeah, just a handful of people. I mean, if we're talking three, six million people, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, that's like half a normal size U.S. state or, uh, you know probably half the uh, population of Ontario. So very fun. Um, So you're already on the ground. You've landed. Um, You know, what are people doing in the streets? Is this much like in, uh, you know, some normal East Asian countries where people are hanging out at little cafes or, you know, drinking tea or uh, some kind of coffee outside or, you know, what is the the street life? Yeah, I... There's not so much street life going on. You saw a few people, you know, students going to school or something like this. Um, but I, I went to one local market, a bazaar. There were like some people, but there was not so much. Went to like two large grocery stores, which are supposed to be the, the most modern grocery stores there. They were huge. Um, just not many people in there. And then it really stuck with me or stuck into my eye. I was like, you, you're at this modern grocery store. You check out. Um, I bought some like local products. And the one thing that's missing at every cash register is a credit card terminal. They just don't have that. Um, there are also no ATMs in the country. So you basically need to bring in cash and it's, it's not so easy to change it. Uh, I found a copy shop that copied my US dollars and gave me local manat. Um, also interesting is the official exchange rate is like one US dollar buys you three manat. Uh, but then if you go into one of these copy shops, you actually get 20 manat for one US dollar. Um, so there's like a seven times discrepancy between the official exchange rate and, and what you actually get, um, which of course makes yeah, it And really this is hard. a common thing in a lot of developing countries where you don't have that infrastructure. I remember that in Myanmar, you know, you had to show up with your US dollars and uh, had to find a money changer <laughs> in the <Yes>. streets. <laughs> Yeah, or like Argentina 10 years ago, also where you just get a totally different exchange rate. Uh, so even if they would accept credit cards, probably I wouldn't want to use them because you just overpay by seven times for everything. And I think in some official rankings, Ashgabat is listed as the most expensive city in the world because these rankings apply the official exchange rate, which no one pays, right? And suddenly, I mean, I paid like 50 cents for like a pint of beer, but obviously the price is totally different if you pay official exchange rate. You're already like at three and a half dollars, which is still not terrible, but it's it's definitely more expensive. Um, so yeah, just really weird to be in a country where you basically don't have like ATMs or, or credit cards, um, and then internet is very limited. So even VPNs don't work. So I had a pretty good de- digital detox because I think you can only access a handful of government websites. Um, and that's so it's like blocked at the national level in some way. Yeah, and they basically, 
I mean, it's like always the game of cat and mouse, mice, I would assume, with the VPNs. But if you fire up your normal VPN, it doesn't get you anywhere because that's also blocked. Um, so um, they're, they're pretty good at that. Um, definitely. Well, should, have, should have loaded up your computer with Tor, and then uh, <laughs> we would have had you surfing the web in no time. Um, okay. And then uh, there were a couple of other like really interesting things. Yeah, there's only one TV channel and one radio station in the entire country. So um, media and internet are not a big thing. It's more like horses and dogs. Um, And then there are just like a couple of really unique laws. For instance, I mean, most countries have like indoor smoking bans. Uh, Turkmenistan has an outdoor smoking ban. (laughs) Um, Okay. (laughs) And I, I was really curious to see how that is enforced or how it works. And... I mean, it was really warm and nice weather. So we're usually sitting outside in restaurants and cafes. And whenever you sit down, the first thing the waiter does is actually bring you an ashtray, even without asking for it. So there, there's definitely outdoor smoking. Um, so some, someone there told me about every question asked if something's legal or not. The answer is always, it's not legal and it's legal. And that, that's kind of an interesting way how it works. I, I, could, I saw a lot of like traffic police pulling over a lot of drivers and it's kind of clear that this is just like a, you know some some additional monetization of people um a little, little shake me down economy i see yep trickle down shake it down <laughs> um and actually when i went back to the airport flying out there was like a roadblock from the police they just didn't let anyone to the airport and it's clear that people have to get flight i think there's only like two flights a day or something like this so they're not so many so they know when people go to the airport and our taxi driver was prepared so he had like a bag of a couple of beers uh, which he immediately handed over and then that roadblock opened and closed behind us for, for the next ones to kind of pay for their service wow well i know i know that the uh, the lane would be open for a um, a mr sadar beradamin humidal uh, the third and current president of Turkmenistan. I guess uh, politics is something that's a bit prickly over there. You already mentioned kind of the the legal system, but um, you know, did you see any any apparatus of the government apart from buildings and a couple of police officers? Were there any any posters, any kind of like North Korea esque stuff, or or not so much? I was actually expecting that. I was expecting much more, seeing like lots of pictures of their presidents and these things and i only saw in one smaller shop there was a picture of the president but that was the only thing i saw and there were like no big murals on buildings or something like this so um that yeah i would have i would have assumed in such a presidential republic or however you want to call it there um they they, they would have like a stronger emphasis on the on the leadership like with murals and pictures and these things but that was actually not really the case, um, which surprised me. Yeah. Okay, interesting. And um, you know, for normal parlance, I assume it's something like the Turkmen language. But uh, could someone get by with Russian there? Is there a lot of Russian spoken from what you would be able to hear? Yeah, like I mean, they still inherited that from um, back in the days of the Soviet Union. So um, I speak like two phrases of Russian as like this, and was able to, I don't know auto make coffee with that um, English just doesn't exist like no one speaks English which is also interesting in 2023 um, and then Turkmen is the main language it's apparently very similar to Turkish so um, Turkmen's also often speak Turkish 
And apparently half of the Turkmen population actually lives in Turkey. And they, they had like over the last 10, 20 years, like a mass emigration to Turkey because it was the only country that could go without a visa. So apparently the Turkmen government asked the Turkish government to impose visas on Turkmen's. Uh, so it's harder for them to get to Turkey, which is also just a bizarre request, right? That your government tells another government, oh, don't let our people in. Um, so, and there are only two international airlines that that fly to Ashgabat. It's like Turkish Airways. I think they fly once a day. And then there is, um, there is Fly Dubai from the UAE. And I think they fly like maybe three to four times a week. And that's it. Oh wow! So not um, not the the big travel destination. I know that a lot of people are likely familiar with Turkmenistan. There's been a couple of these uh, documentaries, you know, dark tourism, uh, where they go to this uh, this big old ring of fire. Um, that, is that something that that you were able to see, or was your uh, trip just a bit too quick? Unfortunately, my trip was too big. That's the gates of hell. There was some ecological disaster during the Soviet times where they, I think, they tried to drill for gas, and there was like methanol or something like this in that dig and they just thought they quickly burn it down for like half an hour and that was 50 years ago and it's still burning so it's like literally the eternal fire and apparently you can stay in a mongol yurt next to it and light up your cigars uh, from that eternal flame um that definitely something i would still like to see um so ne- next trip I'm, I'm trying to get to the gates of fire gates of hell that's how it's called the gates of hell Gates of hell well yeah i don't know if you'll be lighting your cigar uh fred here for our, our kind of closing part I, I heard it was a smoke-free country or um that that's sort of what the headlines uh, lead us to believe yeah you know that's actually really interesting <laughs> just when i started planning my trip there were kind of the news that uh, sweden became the first smoke-free country in the world like with uh less than five percent of adult population smoking and then uh, the World Health Organization responded to this claim and said, no, Turkmenistan already achieved that. Um, so from what I saw there, people are smoking. Again, like whenever I sat down in a restaurant, someone handed me over an ashtray. Most restaurants even sell cigarettes. Cigarettes I saw were either like smuggled in from Iran or like there were like ICOS from Russia or something like this. So there was an interesting assembly of different uh tobacco products uh e-cigarettes are legal actually um but then maybe the same applies as to everything else it's legal and not legal who knows legal and not legal i love this this will be our tagline fred it was great to get caught up on your travels thank you for being the uh, consumer choice radio travel correspondent pleasure talking to you And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio. Yael Lasowski broadcasting here. I uh, heard a great segment there before with our colleague Fred Roda, Managing Director of the Consumer Choice Center, about his nice little touristic jaunt, his séjour out to Turkmenistan. A lot of interesting things there. Uh, definitely a fascinating place. There's been a couple of books written about some of the ongoings there. And um, it's definitely on many people's... Uh, travel list if they want to do some dark tourism <laughs> uh you're listening here on saga 960 a.m and on the coastal carolina network we, i mean speaking of dark tourism we talked about dark patterns in the first segment this relates to the ftc's lawsuit against amazon uh, they're attempting to include dark patterns as some kind of parlance uh, that will be in future lawsuits against tech companies uh, for 
some of their strategies for getting people to sub subscribe to certain memberships, uh, platforms, or the like. And uh, man, speaking of some dark patterns, we got some dark patterns in the Great White North as well. Uh, this is not isolated to just the United States. It's a strange world out there. Yes, of course, because we're talking about Bill C-18. David and I have talked about this in the, in the last couple of weeks, but now it's come to fruition. Bill C-18 is um, basically a news legislation called the Online News Act. This has been passed by the Liberal Party of uh, Justin Trudeau, currently going through the Senate, and I believe now it is fully passed from Parliament. And what this aims to do is essentially allow media outlets, traditional media outlets, newspapers, television stations, uh, all publishers and broadcasters, uh, to have a, a special deal arranged by government between um, companies like Meta and Google in that any time that a news link, a URL, is included on a Facebook, Instagram, Google webpage, uh, there needs to be some kind of payment that goes from the social media network to the media outlet. Uh, it's pretty clear who this benefits the traditional media publishers and broadcasters. They were the ones who were lobbying this. Uh, there have been attempts to do this around the world, really. It's happening in the United States right now in the state of California. They're trying a version of it in the U.S. Senate. And where we first saw it done, this specific flavor of the Online News Act was a, something called the News Media Bargaining Act down in Australia. So these guys really got the cake in the beginning of it. What happened in Australia, very similar to what's happening in Canada. Once the bill was passed, uh, Meta and Google basically are put in a situation where they have to pay the news outlet every time you, on your own account, share a link. Rather than participating in this racket, they opted to shut down all news URLs. So any news content that they would have to pay for, they just did not allow on the platform. They disabled them, which is smart business. It makes sense. And the same thing is happening now in Canada, where we have uh, news availability that has been turned off. So for anyone in Canada, uh, you're trying to you know, go through Facebook or Google and try to get some of the, the latest media links about what's happening in the world, uh, you're not going to get it. The idea is that they want that money those news outlets do. Uh, it's very concerning that this went through. Uh, there's a lot of different situations where either myself or David were able to comment on it, um, trying to make our point known. This is obviously something that consumers do not want, and it's an arrangement that's technically unfair, if not illegal, in terms of the cartelization. Uh, the U.S. versions of this allow basically exempting of antitrust rules so that all of the newspapers and TV stations can effectively gang up against the social networks and force them to pay. And that is, of course, facilitated through the hammer of governmental power. Uh, this is not a good thing. It's not a good thing. It's um, very concerning. And we've already seen in Canada, particularly in the last few years, them to to take a more very active role in terms of trying to save journalism. Now, there's all kinds of arguments that the news outlets will make about how much money they've lost out to advertising. 
Uh, but that's kind of a question. Because advertising has moved from the traditional news outlets to the online outlets, and this is a fairly new phenomenon, it's maybe only been the last decade, does that mean that government now has to broker a deal whereby the social platforms have to pay the news outlets for content? That sounds very problematic. Very problematic indeed, and not a situation that we want to have. There's all kinds of reasons that consumers should stand up against this. Uh, this is a way that, you know, we're, we're trying to get one industry that is innovative, that is new, trying to force them to pay the legacy institution. Much akin to if we have the uh, sort of DVD industry out there and the new streamers that come along, it's some kind of deal where the streamers like Netflix or <laughs> Amazon Prime, we're back on that, uh, have to pay the DVD companies or studios or whatever it might be not just for the actual content, but they have to, you know, every single time a DVD is watched or plugged into the machine, they need to pay something. Uh, this is not a, a, a good precedent at all. And really, it ignores how the internet works. And I would argue, as I did on the, the news forum, a Canadian television channel, uh, where David also made this point on the Boom and Bust show with uh, Tony Clement, no relation. Uh, this is a way that you break and segment the internet because the whole point of a URL is an individual link that you have to a specific piece of content. And if all of a sudden there's some kind of contract that's embedded within that URL that you have to pay every time it's posted somewhere, well, then we've got different tiers of the internet. We've got the free, quote unquote, free internet, where you're able to exchange information, websites, data, and then the other where there's got to be some payment between platforms, providers. Uh, this is not a good precedent at all. It's very worrying for an open internet. Does the online news act? Uh, so for now, uh, at least Meta, I'm not sure about Google. I don't think so. But Meta has turned off all of those news links. So yeah, if you are uh, of Canadian persuasion and happen to be looking through your Facebook feed, your Instagram feed, and not seeing any news articles, well, now you know why. Uh, there, the argument that is uh, being used by particularly the government here is this is a way to save journalism. Um, and, and the government has spent many millions of dollars um, in subsidies, grants, uh, whatever you might call it, to news providers as well uh, throughout the pandemic and before it. And, I, you know, this is all very problematic. This is weaponization of government to protect profits, protect a, a certain industry. You know, the point that I've made on this before is that we consume media in, in new ways today. Many of you are listening to this on the radio, sure, in your car, but perhaps also in the podcast version. Or perhaps you are subscribed to a few sub stacks where you get information on the news of the day. Uh, there's a great uh, Canadian sub stack that I follow. I believe it's called the line.ca. Let me make sure I get that right. The line. Yeah, it's called the line. It's a Substack uh, about uh, Canadian news, politics, technology. Uh, this is a great site and it exists and it's a brand new model where people can pay to subscribe. It's the line.substack.com. People can subscribe. They have over 20,000 people who subscribe to this Substack, by the way. They have different news items, commentary, interviews. They have their own podcast. That's something that's being created independently. And if I share a link to that substack on my 
uh, Facebook timeline, my Instagram, or on Google, um, yeah, there's no payment that has to flow between you know the social media platform where I put the link and the actual news outlet. Of course not. That would be considered unfair. However, this is the model of the Online News Act, which is now a global phenomenon uh, being pushed by Amy Klobuchar in the U.S. Senate, pushed by Pablo Rodriguez, the Heritage Minister in Canada, who was pushed by the liberal government, meaning conservative, down in Australia. So this is a, a, a way that the news publishers are able to, to perhaps, you know, go to the bank. The problem with the media organizations is they have not been able to innovate, and some have, by the way. Something like the New York Times or even the Canadian Globe and Mail, uh, you know, they have made a killing on digital subscriptions that cater to a particular audience, have many people who subscribe. Does it take six clicks to cancel? <laughs> or is it a phone call? That's, a, that's another question. Uh, but it's all about innovation. And the entire point of having companies, firms, is to provide value to consumers, to compete amongst a host of companies, and consumers will choose the winners at the end of the day. The government itself should not have a point of view on the advertising model of, of media companies. Because there are many media companies that don't do advertising. They're entire nonprofits that only deal with donations. Or there are news organizations that sell other products. Or there are just plain old subscriptions, like on Substack or Patreon, um, Twitch, even if you have a Twitch account, another Amazon property. It's another way for people to get their information, be able to, if they see value in it, send it along. And it's something that we believe at, you know, we believe in a lot too here at Consumer Choice Radio. If you're listening to this on a modern podcast app like Podverse or Fountain Podcasts, uh, you can send little bits of Satoshi, little Bitcoin, directly to the program, and you can support us as creators. That is a direct relationship. It has nothing to do with advertising. It has nothing to do with the legacy model of some of the news outlets is something new. It uses the internet, uses the Bitcoin network. Uh, it doesn't even have to be that. Some of these other products, I mean, you see it with, uh, I believe it's locals.com. There's Rumble. Um, even on YouTube, you can subscribe to various YouTube creators. There's an entirely new industry that's here that really is allowing a lot of this to happen. And, and of course, the large gorilla in the room is TikTok, which is increasingly coming up with most of the digital advertising share. And there's not really an answer there, because again, these are rules that apply to uh, companies that are based there or legally regulated by those countries, whether it be US or Canada. Uh, I don't think TikTok is going to be paying any, <laughs> any fees for uh, news links, articles, clips that are shared on their platform. So it's another circumstance where liberal democracies in this global age of robust competition for online, for technology. Uh, we are cutting off our own domestic firms, e even firms across the border in the Canadian example. And what does that really do but elevate some of the competitors that are under the thumb of the Chinese Communist Party or other entities? It's all very troubling. The Online News Act is um, right now this new edition in Canada. We'll see the, the impact uh, hopefully Meta stays strong on this, 
Hopefully Google also stays strong on this. This is not what voters have in mind when they elect their governments. Uh, there's been a lot of very bad legislation that's come out of the, the Canadian federal liberals lately, um, not just C-18, as I mentioned, also C-11 about Canadian content on streaming platforms. So if you're using something like Netflix, a certain percentage has to be in Canadian content. We know these Canadian content rules fairly well. If you listen to the radio, certain songs have to be in French or from a Canadian artist. Uh, there's all, all kinds of these rules that we really do not need the government to intervene. And uh, for consumers, for listeners of programs, tell them what kind of content that they should be listening to. There's a reason that we like things like Spotify. There's a reason we like things like Prime Video or Netflix, because we get to choose. We have the ability to choose between the different platforms, different content, whatever flavor that we're looking for is available for us. And that's why we're very bullish on podcasts, on internet technology, on streaming. You know, on, on this radio station, on Saga, it's also very innovative as well. We're able to present this stuff. There's an online presence where you can engage and interact with the hosts. And if you want to send comment, you're able to do it. I think that's a great and wonderful thing. And you guys can always send comments wherever they're on Twitter, Consumer C Radio. Uh, also go to our website, consumer, uh, ConsumerChoiceRadio.com. Uh, you can give us uh, any other comments or feedback that you might have. Uh, but what a doozy of a program today. Uh, there's a lot of different topics covered, a lot of unintended consequences of bad regulation. And we're trying to do that for you, the consumer. So we'll be back with more next week. I think David will be back from his vacay, and we'll get into the issues of the day. Until then, have a great weekend. That's it from Consumer Choice Radio. Till next time.